This is the Pain Information Network. Welcome back. Well, happy holidays, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Christmas, whatever you celebrate. I hope it's really great for you and your family. All involved. It's a nice time of year. It's kind of a dreary day here in North Carolina. Rain's coming down, but it's seasonal, and I guess we all love that. So today, I'm just going to uh, speak a little while about what's kind of going on and what I think is going to happen over the next year, because let's face it, uh, this opioid, quote, crisis is on an acceleration pathway that uh, is going to lead to a lot of regulations. With regulations follows the government. Following the government follows litigation. So I think you get the idea. We have to kind of like plan ahead. And so I had a little roundtable about uh, a week ago with some very well-educated and experienced individuals. And I just got their opinions just to kind of see what they think. Uh, First, a little housekeeping, though. Uh, Coming up in March, it's uh, ASAP's annual meeting, and I'm coming in as president. But I'm going to invite everybody, uh, providers or not, to come to a new section that my wife has the honor of um, representing. And it's on basically family health and the health of spouses, with providers and just life in general. And I think we're going to have a pretty good session. So, you know, think about that. Check out ASIPP.org and look at the website and look at the dates, and you'll see the agenda there. This family section is going to be uh, led by a Facebook group that's going up soon. I'll let you know about that. And we'll go through a lot of uh, some of the relevant publications that I think help folks just cope with, you know, either chronic pain or chronic life stresses, and let's face it. Now, if you want to get a good um, source of information for the new year, ASIPP.org, if you go there and you look over at publications, you can access their journal for free. I've got some publications in there, and I'm telling you, some very distinguished people, uh, well beyond uh, my skill set, are in there from uh, the world. And you can reference your problem. If you have a problem, I'm almost positive by now, the data bank will have addressed it. And I've uh, been on the uh, committee for a while that reviews some of these uh, journal articles. And I can tell you, it, it's broad brushstroke. You, you're going to find some really cool stuff in there. So if you're having trouble and you're having trouble getting good information in a peer-reviewed uh, journal as opposed to getting it on uh, the Google nightmare, uh, you can go there and it's it's the real thing. So I'd recommend you go there. But uh, let's get into predictions, okay? Yeah, there were five, five people at the roundtable. All right, number one, uh, the morphine milligram equivalents uh, that were first uh, thrown at us uh, ad nauseum by the CDC guidelines, uh, are, they're going to be a big deal. Uh, they're going to start holding physicians' uh, feet to the fire, and providers uh, will start to become a bit unnerved by the fact that regulatory agencies are going to look at these as not guidelines but standard of care. I've already seen this uh, in my practice. Health and human services uh, are actually profiling. All right, MMEs will kill access. Well, they may kill access, but... If we can get a handle on rogue individuals that have very little training, 
that just run people through with the prescription pad, uh, I think we might slow down the problem. So it's not just an access issue. I think it's going to be uh, more self-regulation. So, I mean, that can be a good thing. Number three, providers, MDs, and all involved uh, will practice in fear. I do believe in that, and I uh, have spoken on that before. You can't practice in fear. You either under-prescribe, over-prescribe, or you under-treat, or you over-treat, and you you don't use that little voice on your shoulder that helps with best outcome. It's your training, and that's what matters. So I think that's going to be an issue. Number four, uh, benzos, um, they won't change. Opioids are going to start dropping, and everybody's going to get all worked up about opioids. But I can tell you, benzos are as big a problem to me as any other drug I've ever utilized uh, in the clinic. You know, I've, I've said this before. You're driving down the highway, look to your left, and look to your right, you're going 70 miles an hour, and guess what? They're on benzos. And they think it helps them sleep, and they think it helps them calm. We have better drugs for that. And it actually interferes with sleep architecture, and I think that should be an underlying theme. Learn what benzos are and aren't. And hopefully we can get rid of those and cool off on this opioid epidemic. Number five, uh, I believe more people will die. And uh, we're going to see that spike still go up because it isn't necessarily an opioid problem. It's a fentanyl heroin issue. I'll talk about it in a minute. Uh, Fentanyl's going through the roof. Uh, Synthetic, legitimate, illegitimate. It's coming from China. It's coming from Mexico. And a very distinguished colleague of mine, said uh, something pretty profound to me yesterday, and I I thought I'd share this with you. We don't know if it's the prescription med that is part of this opioid epidemic or if it's the person. And until enough heroin addicts die, we won't really know because there's probably a whole group of people out there that are pre- predetermined to become an addict very quickly. And I I know from addiction medicine that some people are just wired. So is that an opioid epidemic or is that a human um, trait or healthcare problem? And I think the latter is probably true. All right, now I kicked in this. Um, I think immediate release uh, meds are going to come under fire. And I don't think they should. Uh, properly prescribed, they're the right medication. People are going to have this false belief and false security that uh, extended-release meds are safer. They're not necessarily safer. If I have a lollop, which is a little old lady in pain, and she's on an occasional PRN medicine, fine. Fine. She takes it just as needed. I don't want her on an extended-release getting up in the middle of the night and breaking her hip simply because she was a little over-sedated or got sick. And we all know that when we get ill, we should diminish our opioid load and our controlled substance load. At least I hope we all do know that. So those are some of my predictions. And I I just think that uh, we're going to see the biggest changes in opioids. And probably we're going to see... Uh, some question about interventional pain procedures. Now, the argument is interventional pain procedures, injections and the like, 
should increase to decrease uh, opioids. Well, that's not what the data shows. If you look at the data, interventional pain posi- uh, uh, injections have just been going up, 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 and so have opioids. So it's not a, a cause and effect or a correlate. I think that they're completely different, and interventional pain is fine, and we need it, but it's not anywhere close to an answer for the opioid epidemic. All right, so what is the opioid epidemic, okay? I'm going to give you two um, mirrored sort of discussions here, and I I think this is important um, because there is some truth to the first part, and there's a lot of truth to the second part, but we have to know how to look at the numbers because we hear numbers that get thrown all over the Internet. They get thrown out in the uh, mass media, and, and what's real? Well, I don't really know what's real, but I'm gonna. Sh- I'm just gonna share some things. So how I see it, okay? All right, prop physicians for responsible opioid prescribing, and it's uh, led by uh, Dr. Kladny, which is a psychiatrist. He's an executive director. Um, that's fine. He's West Coast. He has uh, a different view than I do, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's wrong. It's just a different view. However, uh, this group has been very active on um, the front of the opioid epidemic, but may not be exactly describing the opioid epidemic like uh, I want to hear. So the CDC took lead from this group as, quote, evidence, but it was found unsupported by the FDA, uh, Food and Drug Administration in the United States. So the CDC just went charging ahead. Sandy Silverman represented ASIP and others represented other organizations, had input and suggestions uh, for the CDC to develop these guidelines. I don't think any of them were followed. I think it was a, a pretty much predetermined. So, okay, L- let me just present this side, and then I'll go to the other side. I don't, I don't think the journal article itself, itself is worth a, a complete explanation, but it's about six charts, six charts that uh, were reviewed, and then the data presented. Um, this is an opposing view by Josh Bloom from the American Council on Science and Health. Okay, is it right? Well, let's go through it. Number one, <clears throat> statistics were manipulated. Quote, drug overdose deaths are the leading cause of death in the United States. Okay, drug overdose deaths. And what does that imply? Does that imply opium? Does that imply fentanyl, heroin, pills? What does it imply? The answer is all drugs, from aspirin to anticoagulants to cocaine, you name it. Prescription medications were 17,000 of that. But half of those deaths were from falls. So in other words, like I said... You know, you give somebody a medication and they're uh, predisposed to some type of flu or they get pneumonia or something like that, and the dose wasn't adjusted, they fall. Okay, that 17,000 number is claimed to be inaccurate. Overdose deaths come from a combination of medications. 7,500 of them had mixed drugs, such as benzodiazepines, alcohol is a big one. Or others, it could be barbiturates or whatever. Pure opioid deaths are closer to 5,000. That's about the same as bicycle-related deaths. Okay? 
All right, truth. Hydrocodone, oxycodone can't be distinguished from heroin by the brain. No, they can't. They're mu opioid agonist. All right, what was admitted in that statement is potency. Heroin and fentanyl combination is hundreds of times more potent than a Tylenol with codeine. Okay, got to read into this. Number three, evidence. Quote, not effective and they're likely to harm. No, there's no evidence for that. The claim is pain patients are less than 1% of those that go on to addiction. The claim is addiction equals um, recreation. That's not true. Uh, There are people that are predisposed to addiction. And the brutal honest truth about some folks is the first dose, second dose, third dose of whatever it is, they're hooked. Um, they their brain receptors and biochemically, they're ready to be there. And they have never felt normal. Now they feel normal. It has to do with dopamine. It's very complicated. You know, I've kind of gone over it before in neurobiology, but it, I, I don't believe that at all. And I do believe, as we'll see on the contrary side, that uh, you can develop a pain patient very quickly uh, into an addict, um, even by just a second prescription. So, say, 18-year-old who's been melancholy for a long time breaks their ankle, okay? They, it's fixed. And a month later, they ask for the second Percocet prescription. Um, I think they're on their way. So uh, that's my belief, but it's a contrary uh, opinion. This one I absolutely agree with. Everybody wants to blame pharma. Uh, No, it's a fentanyl heroin issue. They want to create an enemy. Uh, Okay, so let me me just tell you this. Uh, I'm reading articles. Just uh, last July, when the FDA met, the 10th and 11th, uh, they reviewed the efficacy of anti-abuse formulated painkillers and reducing opioid addiction, et cetera, et cetera. Opioid uh, uh, formulated painkillers that have this anti-abuse or uh, these special additives like naltrexone, they're not going to decrease abuse. They're going to decrease value on the street, as we've seen with this uh, brand name drug of hydrocodone extended release called Sohydro. The company and others have acknowledged that when the drug came out with abuse deterrent technology, it was a high-risk drug. They reformulated it with abuse deterrent technology, and it doesn't have any street value. And I can say that with some confidence of Tepentanol, but I can't say with complete confidence of Tepentanol. It looks like it, though. Uh, same with some of the buprenorphine products. So, I mean, opioid prescribers are going to face uh, stricter new guidelines. That's, quote, from uh, uh, Dr. Gottlieb, and it's reported uh, and the FDA wants to have mandatory education, which is fine, um, and require manufacturers to provide doctors, pharmacists, and other health professionals, quote, with prescriber guidelines for their products. I don't agree with that. I completely agree with the fact that one size does not fit all. So if you think of uh, a surgeon or an obstetrician, within their um, scope of care, you know what they do. Um, If you take some other types of 
providers and they aren't familiar with these drugs, they're outside of their scope of care. We just have to focus on scope of care, and I think we'll do a lot better. Okay, so I don't think we can blame pharma, and we can't say that created enemy uh, is uh, the complete picture. All right, let's look at the other side of things. All right, so what what is the opioid epidemic, okay? This is from the AMA Morning Rounds. All right, this is reported by the Washington Post. 42,000 died from opioid overdoses in 2016. That's up 28% from 2015. Well, let's not blame pharma on that. That big rise came from fentanyl and synthetic fentanyl and synthetic opioids. And that's doubled, okay? In 2015, it was um, much lower, okay? It doubled. So, you know, what we had in 2015 was about almost 10,000 deaths. It's now almost 20,000, but it's fentanyl and synthetic opioids and heroin. Okay. AP reported the CDC opioid epidemic now states that there's a decreased life expectancy over the past two years. So not three years yet, but that would be uh, unprecedented. Um, I'm not sure if you can say our life expectancy has decreased because of opioid epidemic. Um, I do believe that productivity in some young people in some pockets uh, in cultures, yeah, it's probably decreased. But we also have an aging population, okay? Uh, yeah, there's a surge in overdose, um, and NPR reported that uh, they haven't seen this since 1993 uh, when the AIDS epidemic was big. Well, we've seen it before. Um, we've seen it uh in other disease states, particularly uh, pandemic flu. USA Today, the rest of the world's life expectancy is increasing, whereas ours is decreasing. The LA Times says U.S. drug overdoses have increased 21% over the past two years, stating drug deaths are up to 63,000 from 52,000 the year before. I don't know where that number came from. As I said earlier, what does drug deaths mean? Is it all drugs? Is it cocaine? Is it illicit drugs? Is it heroin? Is it fentanyl? What is it? Also quoted is fentanyl has uh, a larger increase than any other legal or illegal drugs, and that's including heroin. 42,000 deaths involved opioids. Fentanyl doubled in one year to 19,000. Heroin is 15,000. Prescription meds, uh, 14.5. It's age 25 to 54. Uh, That top number is a little high. I think you're going to see it mostly uh, in the 19 to 30 range. So the last time there was a significant decline over three years was in 1916 through 18 when this flu uh, epidemic ravaged the country. We We didn't have drugs and we didn't know what to do. So we're trying to compare apples to oranges. There are 2.7 overall deaths in the United States, and that's in the millions, 2.7 million, and that's from including an aging population and uh, other causes because we have more violence and this sort of thing, and that's the most in recorded uh, uh, history in the United States. 
But that's multifactorial. The CDC reports this. West Virginia has the highest overdose rate rate at 52 deaths per 100,000. Who would have figured Ohio was second and New Hampshire followed somewhere around 40 per 100,000? So the life expectancy of men is dropping and women is staying pretty steady at 76 and 81 respectively. So the death rates today uh, are of the seven uh, over about 10 leading causes of uh, diseases is going down except suicide, Alzheimer's, and overdoses are going up. So that's, uh, that, that could be construed as part of this uh, big question mark. All right. Compared to guns, uh, we have uh, a big gun problem, too, but we're going to compare death rates. Let's put it in relative perspective. Those rose to about 39,000 from 33,000 over a year. Now, U.S. ranks uh, below most countries with high incomes uh, in life expectancy. Japan is the highest at 84 years. So uh, a USC study says that we're doing badly because it continues to decline. We went from a stagnant death rate to a decline. So the conclusion is we're not taking care of ourselves, and therefore we are... um, experiencing uh, this uh, drug overdose problem uh, that is interfering with productivity and life expectancy. Conclusions made. Okay, so make it what it is. That's the numbers from the past year, and that's the numbers that are getting thrown out there and thrown at us. So we have to find out what the truth is in those numbers, and let's, let's make the right conclusions. All right, so what's new in pain medicine? A new form of injectable buprenorphine was introduced, which is great, um, because uh, buprenorphine uh, is one of the most widely diverted drugs in the country. It surprises people that between um, the top three to five uh, diverted drugs is the drug we use to treat addiction. There's a big, big uh, desire for it, particularly in prisons. People pay a fortune for it in prison. So... Instead of holding back buprenorphine treatment in prisons, we can now do a 30-day injectable. And that's, that's a good thing because that can also help um, some of our youth and those that uh, has, have a predisposition to relapse. And it's not naltrexone. Naltrexone's different. That, that you have to really detox folks with. And before they can get on naltrexone, we have to have a clean drug screen. Otherwise, we'll throw them in withdrawal. It's an opioid reverser, so to, so to speak. It lasts 30 days. This one does too. So <clears throat> that's kind of what's new out there and what's kind of facing us. I'll continue to update things, and uh, I'm going to put out podcasts more uh, regularly uh, starting uh, next year this year. Uh, was uh, a lot to do with the practice, and uh, now I've got some more help. And so, you know, I'm going to make sure that uh, you get the right information for the right reasons. And we start um, looking at our problems and finding solutions because it's not just a matter of saying, aha, something's terrible, something's bad, let's restrict it, let's stop it. It's finding the solutions, and that's what we're going to do. So if you, if you want, need anything or want anything, paininformation.com. 
And uh, we're going to update uh, the web page now. Um, we're going to probably put it in a funnel, and it'll be much more convenient for you to use and, and much more up-to-date. And leave me a uh, rating review at Amazon, or I mean uh, iTunes, if you would please. <laughs> I got Amazon on the mind because it is Christmas. But iTunes, uh, and I really appreciate that. It helps me rank. It's kind of crazy, the the shows that are ahead of mine. Uh, have, they have nothing to do with medicine. Some of them do. Um, and tell, tell friends and neighbors. Uh, I appreciate it. They're... Popularity of the show keeps going up, and I really wanted high-quality content, and that is driven by your suggestions. And so today's content um, was driven by suggestions of our expert panel, and I thank them very much. So we uh, continue to grow and look forward to hearing from Oh, yeah, <clears throat> I'll get more music once I uh, figure out how to get it into the iPad uh, from the one that uh, was, quote, misplaced. And... Uh, We'll get rid of the happy ukulele. Bye.